Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. There's just some songs. That's one of them that takes me back to a child sitting on a pew. Amen. I heard that as a kid growing up. Amen. About how good it felt just to be in God's house. Amen. So they were trying to instill that in my mind as a young man. Amen. About the goodness of God. And there's songs like that. There's songs like that that you'll allow them into your spirit. They'll be with you for years from now. Uh, I was thinking this morning as uh, they sang their last two songs about uh, he makes a difference and then he never gave up on me. Those are probably some of my two favorite songs uh, around here. And it's just kind of like this. You know, whenever you're watching a football game or you're watching a basketball game and that ball releases from the hand and you just know that man, boom, that great play was made and you're just like I want to see that again and again I feel like that when like brother Alex Mason gets up and starts to sing you never gave up on me I'm just like wait for it wait for it second verse second time boom I'm, I'm glad I can be excited about that just about other it's just there's something beautiful uh, there's just something beautiful about uh, a lyric being sang under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. There's something beautiful about a uh, word of God going forth and just striking its target. Just something beautiful about those things. I don't think we need to uh, reverence them any less, any less than what we do, would do uh, just, you know, uh, other carnal things. Amen. It's a, it's a divine thing. And so we're so glad to be here this morning. Happy Father's Day to those, amen, fathers here this morning or grandfathers. Or maybe you at, uh, play a fatherly role in the uh, life of somebody else that uh, is in need of one. And so we're grateful today, amen, for men, grateful today for men. We're going to be turning to 1 Samuel chapter number 30. 1 Samuel chapter number 30. This has been my playground for weeks. The book of Samuel. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 30. We're going to read. I'm going to read about 10 verses this morning. All right. I'm just going to give you a scope of a good portion of a story. Amen. And so to familiarize you with it in case you are not familiar with it. And uh, I really don't know what we're doing here today. Last Sunday night. Uh, I preached on just let them fight, and that was kind of geared toward uh, the youth and adolescent type age, although it encompasses us all. Uh, and then this morning, uh, my title is Fighting Ben, and so I'm guessing maybe next Sunday morning I'll talk about knockout women. I don't know. You know, just I just don't know what really... <laughs> I've really been trying to mull it over my mind what we can do here. It's kind of got a series or something going, but... Um, nonetheless, amen. First Samuel chapter 30, amen. First Samuel chapter number 30, verse number one. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Malachites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, neither great or small but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, 
and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abithar the priest, Ahimelech, son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Bithar brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. Amen. This morning, again, I want to minister fighting men. Fighting men. If you were to go through the pages of Scripture, and I have been in these a lot this week and been thinking about them, chapters 27 and, and a couple verses of 28 and chapter 29 and chapter 30, read them over and over and, and so on and so forth in my spirit. What we must understand is that David and his men are coming back to Ziklag, which was their home, because they'd been away to a place that they thought they were going to be involved in a war that they really didn't want to be involved with, really shouldn't be involved with. And so they had traveled many miles away, were told to go back home and travel miles back home, find everything that happened in their home with their families and continue to travel more. But some of the men couldn't continue because they were exhausted from all the energies they had put in a war they shouldn't have been a part of. And so this morning, I want to minister today fighting men, fighting men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, I love you and I thank you today, God, for your purpose, Lord Jesus, in this place. God, we only have one service, Lord, today, and so we're going to gather our attention. We're going to gather our efforts, Lord Jesus, and direct them towards you today. I pray, oh, Lord, we're thankful, God, for the role, Lord, of fathers, Lord, and what they play in homes and families and churches, communities, and the world. I pray, oh, God, that you're able to help us now, Lord Jesus, in the next little while, and we'll not fail to thank you for it. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated today in Jesus' name. There is a, a primal itch that men feel compelled to scratch, and that is that men are wired to fight. It surfaces as kids, and it probably rears its head again as adolescents, as young men are standing in front of a mirror when no one else is around, looking at their physique, 
they're putting their arms up and they're tightening them to find, trying to find maybe, I don't know, those, those biceps and maybe some triceps in front of the mirror. Those surging testosterone levels during puberty that help increase the size of their body's muscular structure and their capacity for upper body strength. What broad shoulders are to males, thick antlers are to deer and elk. They are the signal of the ability to fight and to defend. Researchers of varied sciences agree that men are in many ways biologically and psychologically wired to fight. You've got men warrior DNA. 85.5% of active duty military members, amen, are men. Statistically, men are more likely, and I don't know if this is necessarily a strike force or against us, but men are more likely to commit violent crimes than women. There is proof of a male's grit in his fighting. A paper entitled The Importance of Physical Strength to Human Males says that, that what makes men different than women is a male's need to fight other males. Therefore, men must find ways to scratch that itch, so to speak. They must fight the right battles. They must prioritize their conflicts. David, in Scripture, is a man that illustrates the fighter type of mentality. His manhood alone, we see in Scripture, that he manhandled a lion and a bear and a giant in his teenage years. He was a consistent winner. David went out, the Bible says, whithersoever Saul sent him and returned victoriously from the slaughter of the Philistines time and time again. His triumphs prompted women to sing and dance about the ten thousands that David had slain. And he famously killed 200 Philistines and took their foreskins to acquire Michael's hand in marriage. What a Romeo. Amen. And the steady statement really of David's life is on this wise in 1 Samuel 19, 8. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. David, according to Scripture, it even tells us that he had too much blood on his hands to build God's house. But in our text, initially, he lacked it to save his family. It appears that David and his 600 men never lost a battle. They raided towns and people all around the vicinity of Ziklag. But none could be found when fighting men were needed on that fateful day that that city was destroyed. The battle for their wives and children that demanded them the most was the one that they forfeited because they were not there. Their focus was elsewhere. The same man that took 200 lives for the hand in marriage is non-existent now for preserving his wife's safety. Admires women that was unrelated to him that sang his praises and now all he has is the shuffling feet of the captives that are echoing the disappointment about a champion that is absent. According to the Old Testament scripture, the Bible says, and we can read it and see that David fought in about eight or nine major battles and he did not lose any of them. But the only war that David ever lost was the one that he wasn't at. 
I was listening the other day as I was doing my uh, exercise and walking and such in the morning to a Kingdom Speak podcast this past week. And there was a minister that shared a clip from a podcast that he had heard. So it's kind of like a podcast within a podcast type of scenario. And the guy was interviewing a child molester that had gotten out of prison and he had served something like 25 years of his incarceration, 25 years. And uh, the interviewer asked him and said, what was it? What was was it that you looked for whenever you were stalking or casing a victim or a victim's house? And the man said, he said, I looked for a house that didn't have a father figure. He didn't look for what was present or what was available. He was looking for what was absent because the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter how structured or wired we are to fight. It doesn't matter how much nature has prepared us to be the protectors. Our families are vulnerable when we are pulled in needless battles. Amen. That trump the important ones of our family. The Bible says in our text that the people's souls were grieved not because they lost possessions not because the city of, of Ziklag was burnt with fire but verse 6 tells us why they were grieved it resulted from missing family the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters there is something in this this morning I sense it, a little grief in David and his men it goes beyond losing their families there's a grief that is here that I believe is grieving over something that was an unnecessary loss. It could have been avoided. Had they been home rather than rallying around other battles that took them away from the home front, their wives and their children would not have been captives. Someone say amen. David has been a fugitive for several years at this point. He has faced a lot of persecution. He has been chased by Saul. He has spent his life years running. Amen. And all of that running has taxed him sorely and mentally. He felt he might perish, the Bible says, though God had proven to be very faithful to David. Anytime he found himself in a tight spot or something that was very foreboding, God would come alongside him and aid him a means of escape, a way of escape. This constant, though, pursuit drove him away, the Bible says. You can read the chapters I mentioned to you formerly. He, he went away. He said he was driven away from the inheritance of the Lord. He was driven away from the very presence of God. And as a result of that, David took 600 men, their wives and children, including his own. And they all went to Goliath's hometown of Gath. When you begin to do the numbers a little bit, you're talking about easily 2,000 to 3,000 people that David could have taken with him, wives, children, and families to this place. David had already been there before by himself. Earlier in the Bible, he's already went to Gath, the hometown of Goliath, the one he had had his, his head in his hand, an enemy, if you will. He's been there before by himself, and he barely made it out with his own life, and he fled. And now he's taking his wives. Now he's taking the wives of his men, amen, and their families to this very same place. Can I ask you a question this morning? Why would you subject your family to a place or position that you didn't almost make it out of yourself. Right, 
If it was questionable for David, it's going to be questionable for his family. If it was risky for David, it's going to be risky for his kids. David's family is in harm's way, the Bible describes to us. The Bible describes the day that David decided to go to Gath into the land of the Philistines. It says in 1 Samuel 27 and 2 that David arose and he passed over the six with the 600 men that were with him. Whenever David decided decided to go there. Whenever David decided to take his families and the children of his men with him there, David purely crossed a boundary line that day when he entered the Philistines' land because now they are camping out in enemy territory. They're camping out in territory, amen, that was an opposition in reality to them. And yet somehow David has become so twisted in his mind and his thinking that he believes that's the safest place for his family until it wasn't the safest place. Amen. At Ziklag, David lived. Listen to me this morning, folks. At Ziklag, David lived in the land of the Philistines while boarding, by bordering the land of Israel. He lived on a boundary line, amen, of acceptable and unacceptable, a boundary line of clean and unclean, a boundary line of holy and profound. If I can say it like this, David took his family to a line. He took his family to a boundary line between the nation of God and the nation of the other nations and worlds around him. That's where he said we're going to live. That's where he thought was a safe place until it was not. David would attack the people. He would be hostile to the Philistines as much as he could. He found favor, the Bible says, in the eyes of the king of the Philistines. Do you hear what I'm saying? He found favor. Favor. A child of God found favor in the eyes of the king of the Philistines. Is that really something you want to find favor in the eyes of? In the eyes of somebody that should be your adversary. Amen. David stooped, claiming to be even Achish's servant, this enemy's servant. He says, I'm thy servant. This is where David is, Brother Malone. Amen. He's not the same person that we knew formerly. He's saying, I subject myself to you. I'm your servant. You're my adversary. You're my enemy. I took your champion, but I'm going to be your servant. I begin to scratch my head. How in the world, Sister Sheila, does this happen? That the very same people he would used to fight, now he joins ranks with. How does a man, amen, that fight, amen, against different causes, amen, now would be serving the cause he used to fight. How does this happen? What causes this family's defender to leave them defenseless? How does this happen? But David, somewhere along in his journey, because of pressures, because of environments, because of surrounding, because of the daily grind, he yielded. Why? Because even strong men grow weak. Even strong men cannot only take so much. Even strong men have things that come into their life that seem insurmountable. David yielded. I tell you what David did. David reached a point in his life that he went from trusting God to doubting God. He reached a point in his life that his faith was edged out by fear. David entered a place in his life that he felt like, you know what? I'm not sure if God is going to deliver this time. So as a man, I'm going to have to take it upon myself to do something about this if it's going to get done. 
I know we're strong. I know the mentality of men. If there's not enough there to lift it, we'll lift it by ourselves. If there's not enough people to accomplish it, we'll go on and do it. Why? Because we're men and that's what we're due. But ladies and gentlemen, we have missed the ship. We have missed the ship. If we think in this life that we're just going to push on ahead without the divine, we're going to push on ahead in our trials and our persecutions and our turmoil and say, well, if it's going to get done, I'm just going to have to take care of myself. I tell you a thousand times no. You need a deliverer. You need a God. You need a divine intervention. You can't do it on your own. You don't know the best way. You don't know the best strategy. You still need God. Fighting men need God. Someone say amen. He escaped. Look what happens in David's life. He escapes the hand of Saul again. Everybody say again. In chapter 26. We see it. It's played out. He's just escaped. Saul goes his own way. David goes his own way. And then in the opening verses of chapter 27, David is saying in his heart, one day I'm going to perish by the hand of Saul. On multiple occasions, God has helped him out. And now he's saying, you know what? One of these days, he's going to get to me. You know what David then is thinking in his mind? In order to sidestep this, David's going to have to do something. David's going to have to do something about this. David, who told you that? Because what you're about ready to do and think that you are escaping is actually become an entrapment for you and your family. I know fighting is in your DNA. And I know all of your former victories have this little postscript. And you can read of them in 1 Samuel 18 and other places. Many times it talked about David's exploits and his fighting and his wars. And this phrase is thrown in there many times. And the Lord was with him. Victorious. Amen, over foe, victorious in several settings over the Philistines. And that little postscript is included. And the Lord was with him. I don't know, David, if you realize. But all of your victories are not chalked up to you just as a man. All of your successes. Right? Because men like to measure success. Huh? Success and belonging, success and monetary goods. I like to measure all the successes. But if you'll read the postscript on your life, and the Lord was with him. David, you're not where you are because of who you are. You're where you are because of who you serve. Someone say amen. And so you're telling me you're going to abandon the land of Israel? The lamb that is scribed with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And David did. For 16 months, he lived among the Philistines. David had convinced King Achish so much. Amen. That he was so much on his side. That whenever it came time. And you got to see this folks. Whenever it came time for the Philistines to fight the Israelites. That King Achish expected David 
amen, an Israelite and his men to fight alongside the Philistines against his own people, against the Israelites. David at this point is a man that is already anointed to be Israel's next king and yet he's being required to come and fight a battle against the people he's supposed to be king over someday. Someone say amen. And so here he is. It was their responsibility. Achish says, I tell you where I want you. I don't want you over there on that flank. I want you right here around me. I want you to guard me. I want you to protect me. This is the foreign king. This is the wicked king. This is their adversary. And he says, I want you to protect me. I want you to protect what used to be your opposition. I want you to guard what used to be your opposition. Listen to me well. But whenever David and those men were required and demanded, amen, to protect what used to be their opposition. It was keeping them from protecting their families. It was keeping them from protecting their wives and their children that were back at Ziklag. There are 60 miles between Ziklag and where the army was about ready to go from Aphek. And here they are guarding the opposition, guarding an old adversary and protecting them, all the while leaving their family vulnerable. Their priority, vulnerable. Listen, guys, you know you've been duped when defending your foreign alliances exceeds the obligations to your family. The last thing probably David wanted to do was to fight against Israel. He never laid a finger on Saul because he was the Lord's anointed. Probably the last thing he wanted to do was to do that. But he also wanted to save face with Achish. Because Achish thought he was on his side. He also wanted to save face with Achish because he was living in his land. Probably the last thing David wanted to do, but it seemed like the thing he was going to have to do because of where he was positionally at the time. It demanded him to engage in something that he didn't need to be a part of if it had been some other way. See, there are some things in some places that you just cannot idly be a part of without them demanding your participation. I'm preaching today. Whether you know or not, I'm preaching today. Amen. David is in a situation that he's going to try to either, he's going to try to maneuver because if he involves himself in one way, he'll uncover the lies that he told to Achish. But if he involves himself in another way, he'll undermine Israel's present king and perhaps his future kingship. And so he's in a position. And whenever he arrives and his 600 men arrive, amen, at the battlefront of that day with the, 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 the Philistines, these are enemies that should be people that are enemies there are some of them that look at David and his men and they speak these words they say why are the Hebrews here you know what they're picking up on these folks don't have anything to do with us these are not our friends these are not our allies what are they doing here and in reality he was speaking just what David maybe had in the back of his mind how in the world did I get here why am I here they said why are the Hebrews 
Hebrews here. You know what they told Achish? Why don't you tell them just to go on home? Why don't you tell them to go on back to Ziklag? Because this isn't a battle that they need to be fighting in. This isn't a battle they need to be participating in. You need to, folks, there is something I hope that clicked in David's mind that day whenever he heard his adversary say, this really isn't a battle they need to be fighting in. I'm telling some men this morning, you are involved in some battles you have no reason to be in. You're involved in some struggles you have no reason to be in. You're wasting energy on some fights where you should be taking that same energy and mounting it on your kids and on your family and on your household. There's some fights you don't said send them home but see here's the dilemma of everything these men including David have left Ziklag they have marched 60 miles to Aphek that's about a three day journey they have went 60 miles from Ziklag to Aphek only for the people to tell them this is not a battle you really need to be involved in so early tomorrow morning you need to go back home and so those same those same 600 men are now going to march 60 more miles another three day journey back home to Ziklag but when they get back home to Ziklag it's de deplorable it's not a good sight the city is burned with fire there's things in disarray and ultimately their wives are gone their children are gone their families are gone men are weeping men are grieving men are hanging their head amen because their families are missing and they've already traveled 120 miles 120 miles by foot amen all along this journey and now they're going to have to go to try to find the one that's taken their wives the one that's taken their family and the Bible says they go on the journey a little further they travel about 16 more miles amen to the brook of Besor and the Bible says there only 400 of the men continue on the journey and 200 men stay amen at the brook. Why? Because they're exhausted. They have traveled 60 miles. They've traveled 60 miles. They've traveled 16 miles. Listen, the main exhaustion came from the journey to a fight they never should have been a part of. The main exhaustion was a result of investing their energies in something they had going to be some left at Besor because they're too exhausted. They expended their energies everywhere else except their family. Listen, listen to Pastor today. It's already, it's fine to have friends. It's fine to, to, to have recreation activities. It's fine for all of those, but they all need their proper place. You can give so much to recreation, you don't have no energy for your kids and family. You can give so much to your job, you don't have energy for your kids and family. You can give so much to your little buddies that you grew up with that you don't have no energy for your family or your kids. And you don't need to travel 120 miles to find out you no longer have a family and then be too. Too weak, too weak to travel the distance to reclaim what you lost. Could they have done it? Yes, some did, but some couldn't because they were already exhausted. 
by peripheral things that didn't matter as much as their family. Someone say amen. 600 left Ziklag in a pursuit to recover their families. And all these men are sick that their families are gone. But only 400 could continue beyond Besor because they used their energies chasing battles that wasn't theirs to fight. And when you attempt to fight wars you shouldn't be fighting, listen, they'll deplete you of the strength you need to fight the battles you should. This isn't the story of men that didn't love. This isn't the story of men that didn't care for their families. This is the story of men that wasted or squandered their energies on lesser things to the point they didn't have anything left to offer their families. I'm talking today, Brother Fred. No matter how badly they desired to, they just didn't have the energy to do it. Because here's the fact of the matter. You can't measure yourself among yourself. You can't measure yourself with another man or, 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 or fatherhood figure in your life and, and get by and pull the same antics as other people do and achieve the same purpose because 200 is going to get left at Besor because they're too expended to fight. And maybe 400 is going to go on. But just because there's some of the 400 that could continue doesn't mean you can get by with the same thing. You can't start measuring, well, they do such and such and so on and so forth and everything's fine. Well, that might, be, that might be the dynamics of their family. But your family might not be able to contend and, and live and thrive with the same dynamics. Amen. And I, will, I believe I will say this. That every man that wastes his energy on useless and meaningless meaningless escapades has a besore in his future where he can't go on. It might be more than 16 miles for you. It may be 25 miles or it may be 50 miles. But there's a besore in your future. Besore, a noun, but it comes from a verb that means glad tidings. We're glad tidings mainly connected and associated with the fact of whenever a child was born. There's glad tidings. But when a child is born and the glad tidings, all this association brings the noun of the word to mean this, flesh. Because whenever there's glad tidings and a child is born, there's the exposure of the flesh. There will always be a besore in your future. There will be a spot called exposed flesh that brings reminders back to the men I can't do it by myself. I can't do it solo. I can't do it in my own strength and power. Someone say amen. 
because this, 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 this story is the story of a man, David, that thought he had to do it by his own power. He thought he had to do it without God. He, that's the reason why he's abandon, abandoning the land of God and going to the land of his enemy. He's trying to be very, very uh, conniving and very, uh, you know, very intuitive and going to make a plan and strategize in such a way and figure it all out without God. David and Saul, you see these, these pictures of them in their life. David, and if you read the scriptures, and you know this, that scriptures are not always, chapters are not always in like chronological order in scripture. All right? I mean, the Bible doesn't start Genesis in, ever, in Revelation in a pure chronological order. Okay? If you thought that, welcome to Sunday school class because you've been greatly, greatly, greatly... Uh, Misinformed, yeah, misinformed, absolutely. I mean, when you t- take the, the minor prophets and major prophets, you need to tuck those back with Samuel and Kings. And the Psalms, you need to tuck back. And you, you need to do some, you know, nip and tuck, you know, going on with Scripture. But whenever you read the Word of God, we read it, I believe it is in verse 20, in chapter 26. It is this whole idea, amen, that David is going to go on this journey. He's going to do this thing. He's going to take this men with them. Or verse twenty, or chapter 27 is like that. You get to chapter 28, and it begins to describe Saul visiting the witch of Endor before the fight with the Philistines and the Israelites. I said this to you a few weeks ago because it was a, like <clears throat> an epiphany for me that all these chapters are centering around the very battle that Saul lost his life in, which is just mind-blowing to me see that's the reason one one of the reasons why David was about ready to go out in a battle he didn't need to be in because he would been on the opposite side of the fence taking the very man he said he wouldn't lay a hand on but whenever you read this that chapter 28 is not chronologically placed because chapter 28 whenever Saul visits the witch of Endor happens around the same time whenever David is thinking about what he's going to do because he's come back and Ziklag is burned with fire. Watch it now. Whenever David leaves Amen Aphek to go back to Ziklag on that 60-mile journey, the army of the Philistines were headed up to the valley of Jezreel, which was about in Mount, Mount Gilboa area, which was about a 60-mile journey too. They both left at the same time. David going back to Ziklag and the Philistine army going up there. That means they would both arrive, amen, at their individual places around the same time. So as David is discovering my city is burned and my wives and children are gone, amen, the Philistines are in a place where they are on the cusp, on the hinge of starting warfare with the Israelites. And it's that night... Because when the witch of Endor gets done talking to Amen Saul, he's talking about tomorrow you'll be as Samuel was. You're going to be dead. So it's going to be the next day. And so he goes in this moment of calamity and Saul goes and visits. He's, he is, the Bible says he greatly trembled. He's overwhelmed by what's going on in his life. And the Bible says that he and he went and turned to the witch of Endor. But David, in the same moment that Saul is trembling, David is also greatly distressed, the Bible says. David is overwhelmed. But instead of turning to the same thing that Saul turned toward, David turns back to God. And he taps back into a line that Saul had already severed in his life. 
What happened? It came to a moment in David's life. I need to turn back to what the postscript was in my life when I was successful. I need to turn back to what the postscript was in my life. Amen. Whenever I fought and I got victories. Amen. Listen to me. Listen to me, folks. It was 1 Samuel 23. That was the last time we see David ever talking about the ephod, inquiring about the ephod. Yet now, because of this dilemma, he's saying, Abiathar, come in. Let me consult the ephod. Let me consult what the Lord would want. David hasn't talked about God since chapter 26, but now, because of this dilemma, he's talking to God. God, what should I do? Should I go? Should I pursue? Will I overtake? What's going to happen? So here he's consulting the ephod, and he's consulting God. Someone say amen. And the turning point, can I say, in David gaining his kids the turning point in David gaining his family is when he first turned back to God the Bible says the Lord says you go David and you'll recover all you'll recover all amen he recovered all partly because he devoted all to God and then whenever we see him leave Ziklag we're seeing the warrior resurrect we're seeing the fighter resurrect the Bible says that David went forth he smote he recovered he rescued he brought amen some stuff back home he captured but before he did any of these things he sought God isn't it amazing today isn't it impressive today what fighting men can do when they seek God and fight battles he's endorsed David gives the spoils when he returns home I'm running too close I know you probably have stuff to do a barbecue I still got a pack I was up till 145 this morning every Father's Day comes right before GMC I'll probably mow my lawn today. I got a lot to do. So I guarantee you, you were probably in no situation here with you and me because I got a lot to do today. <laughs> and it's Father's Day. You work sometimes. When David returns, he's recovered all. He's got wives, children. He's got possessions. He's got more than what he left with. And he's starting to distribute spoils. You can read of it in our chapter. He starts to distribute spoils to the strong and to the weak. Because this is David. This is the man we know him to be. This is the man that's after God's own heart. This is the man we know him to be. And thank God for such a man that's gracious enough to return what's ours and bless us with things beyond what we deserve. But as he's doing this, some of the soldiers that made it past Besor said to David, David... Those guys that stayed, those guys that were too weak, those guys that were too exhausted, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve that. And David made it plain in the moment. He said, listen, guys, none of us deserve this because all 600 of us were caught on the fringe of a battle that wasn't ours to fight. And when it comes 
to families and children and things that we should be invested in, what you failed to fight will become just a battle for another day. It was the Amalekites that came and took David's wives and children and their families. The Amalekites. Anybody remember the Amalekites? Saul, who should have utterly destroyed them. Saul's incomplete victory became David's battle. And because David wasn't there when they first showed up, guess what? It became a battle for another day. And the Amalekites have this distinction in their life. This is what they're known for. This is their MO. They take advantage. They take advantage of where fighting men are missing. Whenever Israel was first taken out of Egypt, huh? And going to the promised land, you know the first foe to meet them? The Amalekites. The Bible says that they didn't hit them head on, but they went to the hinder part where the weak and the weary. You know what it was? Their MO, we want to fight where there's no fighting men. That's where we want to attack. We don't want anything to do with strong fighting men. If you'll stand with me today. The Bible says that David was greatly distressed when he learned about all this news. When he got to Ziklag, formally, he's distressed. It's a verb that means he was pressed into a tight corner. They say it's a word that's borrowed from, from a potter, from the way that a potter would press the clay into a mold. Whether you're casting a mold or you're doing like mode with concrete and you always got a stick or something, you're trying to get it in those areas so there's no pockets of air and you're trying to get that mode in those places that are tight because you don't want to then break the mode and there's this gaping void over here on the side. Whenever the Bible says that David was greatly distressed, it is though he was clay that was being pushed down into the corners of a mode he was being cast in because God wanted to make sure when he was done with David, there was no void areas. But it took that, Bishop, for David to turn the tide of his mind and say, you know what? I don't have to try to do this by myself. I don't, I don't have to try to, to, to bear this weight on my own. And I for sure don't have to try to put out fires that are not mine to put out. Men, when you get greatly distressed and trouble beyond measure, don't do like David. I mean, there's all the other times we say do like David, but I'm saying don't do like David. Don't pass over that boundary and live life on the line of clean and holy, acceptable, unacceptable, where you can just kind of sway back and forth either direction. Don't, don't carry your family in a compromised foreign territory and position. Let God press you. Let God cast you into mode. And then ask him before it's all said and done, God, is this fight a fight worth fighting? Because families are dependent on it. Children are dependent on it. And then the greater scope, Bishop, a nation. A nation was dependent on it. Think here for a moment with me. Folks, just read Samuel. Think here for a moment with me. What would have happened, Brother Fred, had David remained with the Philistines and fought that day and was in the war 
that Saul and his sons were killed in. How accepting do you think Israel would be of David being their next king was his hand joined with the hand of those that took their first king? Maybe he would have, maybe he would somewhere along the line, Brother Mason, have some power. Maybe he would be the grand poobah of, of, of the Philistines now. Maybe that he would get all the acclaim of that. But if he did, he would have it without his wife. And he'd have it without his kids. So what type of acclaim is that? We bow our heads here today. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Same thing every year, Brother McGee. Get up there and you preach to the men what they need to do better and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because just set your pulse on masculinity and manhood in the world. Read the stats, the articles, and the stories. And that's enough for me to come here in 2024 and say similar things. There are, listen, there are some great men. I'm not, I'm not saying we're all a <laughs> bunch of Bethunes and we're just and have no correction in our life. We can't do anything, blah, blah. No, I'm not saying that. The world does a good enough job like that, painting you like some fool in all their sitcoms. What I'm saying is let's not live up to their standards. Or to the image that they portray. Huh? Let, let's, forge, let's forge another path. That will gain some traction. A world needs fighting men. Churches do. Families do. Communities do. That have this postscript. That have this postscript. And the Lord was with them. Because you can naturally ascend to some type of success. But if you don't have the postscript and the Lord was with you, there is a sense of emptiness. No matter what has been achieved, there is always going to be a sense of emptiness. Oh, no, not me, but me. That's all right. You just wait till your besor comes. And you can't go on. And you can't raise a hand and you can't pick up a foot. We need fighting men today. Fighting men that the Lord is with. These altars are open for fathers today. These altars are open for men, young men. These altars are open for whosoever will today. God, I want to be a fighting, a fighting man. God, it's part of our makeup, part of our DNA. But help me, Lord, to invest. Help me, Lord, to concentrate in the right fights. Help me to concentrate, Lord, in dispensing my energies where they need to be. <sighs> Hallelujah. Brother Mason. Hallelujah.
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.